Hello and welcome to the first in our series of podcasts. We're going to be talking about all things to do with content, language and culture. I'm Zoe. And I'm Johnny. And we're both part of the content team at World Bank Marketing, uh, based in London and in Denver. So this week, um, I've been reading about the International Year of Indigenous Languages. Oh, cool. This is a UN um, initiative and lead agency is UNESCO. And before I decided to sort of blast this all over social media, I thought I might actually do a little bit of digging. <laughs> yeah, great. <laughs> um, so first of all, I thought I'd better find out what Indigenous meant. Um, so Indigenous people or things belong to the country in which they're found. So okay. they're not brought there or come there from another country. Um, indigenous languages are therefore spoken by these indigenous people. Indigenous languages are not necessarily national languages and national languages aren't necessarily indigenous languages. Okay. So I cleared that up. <laughs> <laughs> so do we mean, for example, the language of one of the Native American tribes, that would be an indigenous language? Yeah. As opposed to English, which would be the national language of the United States. Absolutely. Spot about? on. Yes. Okay, great. So indigenous languages. Now, the reason that this is the International Year of Indigenous Languages is because they are disappearing at an alarming rate. Okay. And when I say alarming rate, it is, it's pretty serious. So to put it into perspective, um, there are 7,000 languages spoken in the world. There are 2,680 in danger. So wow. large that number. Many. Yeah. And a lot, most of them are indigenous. Um, another scary... Um, stat, conservative estimates suggest that more than half of the world's languages will become extinct by 2100. Wow. Um, the majority of them under threat are indigenous. I, I already mentioned that. Um, and then one indigenous language dies every two weeks. Seriously? Yes. <laughs> one language dies every two weeks. That was the one that really made me think, oh, my goodness, I think this should be our first podcast because that is really yeah. shocking. Why do we not hear about that more, do you think? I don't know. I don't, we work in the, you know, language, yeah. international marketing and localization industry. I didn't realize, so I felt um, pretty stupid, to be honest. Yeah. Well, to, actually, it reminds me of uh, an article I was reading in The Guardian the other week about uh, a language in Mexico um, where there's only two speakers left and neither of them talk to each other. And it's not because they've fallen out. It's just that they don't really like going outside and talking to people. So they're not helping themselves. So they're not helping themselves. But it means that there are um, academic researchers who are now scrambling to codify the language and record as much of it as they can so that they can maybe revitalize it in future, but also study it. Yeah. Um, but it, it seems a real a real shame to be in that situation. And I suppose yeah. that's how we end up in a place where one language dies every two weeks. Every two weeks. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not. I mean, you mentioned those two speakers. I was doing a little bit of research. Um, another critically endangered language is Ainu. Okay. So that's spoken by the Ainu, indigenous people of Japan. I think the Northern Island, Hokkaido. Um, so now there are only three Ainu speakers. I don't know if they talk to each other. <laughs> um, Hopefully. But there are only three. Now, I know that Ainu um, were, I think it was a, a, a forbidden language, I think, when the Japanese um, um, invaded Japan, took over Japan, then Japan became the, the language to speak. So they weren't allowed to speak okay. Ainu. So it doesn't, it feels like that is going to be difficult to perhaps preserve. Um, on the other hand, um, Irish is also an endangered language, not critically. Um, there are 40,000 Irish speakers in okay. the Republic of Ireland. 
Um, so I was thinking, okay, so why is that endangered? And I think it's because it, this is actually quite a this number has actually risen because mm. Irish has become um, protected, if you like. It's it's taught yeah. in schools. It's often the medium that other subjects are taught. But it's endangered because it's not really it's not a first language. It's not spoken at home that much. Um, I think maybe only nine percent actually mm. speak it at home. Well, to be honest, that that makes sense. Um, we had to study a little bit. Um, of the history of the Irish language at school, yeah. and um, but that was Northern Ireland, right? That, that yeah. was Northern Ireland, but yeah. I think the the same kind of studies happen across the the whole island. Um, but because when when the English and the Scottish originally came and they made real efforts to stamp out Irish, it, yeah. it almost died out until it was revived in the nineteenth century. Um, but it means that there are only pockets of yeah. people in, I think, particularly the west of Ireland who speak it natively, which is probably why it's endangered. Yeah. But in Northern Ireland, it's become, um, it's really tied up in your sense of identity and your culture. Mm. So you have on the one side um, Irish um, and on the other hand, you've got Ulster Scots, which is kind of a an alternative version of Scots, you know, the language that Robert Burns, the poet that he wrote in. Oh, yeah, okay. Kind of an alternative version of that. And it kind of feels, is that, I would have called that more of a dialect, actually, but I mean... Well, so, uh, there's quite a bit of debate about it, but I think because of the importance of the language in, in the culture in Northern Ireland, it's actually yeah. been granted by the UK official language status. Um, and okay. that means that both Irish and Ulster Scots can be held up as these alternative second languages as such. Yeah. Um, whereas English is still the, the main language in, in Northern Ireland. But what's interesting about it is whether you speak it or whether you don't says a lot about your background, your yeah. culture, your family. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of pride in being able to say, I speak Irish or, or I speak Ulster Scots or, um, or even just saying that you don't speak the other language. But yeah. actually the number of people who day to day would speak it would be really minimal you yeah. might learn it in school and then forget all about it um unless you see it on a couple of road signs but mm. um but yeah it's, it's I was kind of so it's almost like a it's a yeah it, it fills in a little bit more background gives the person you're talking to a bit more knowledge about yourself if, yeah, you, if exactly. you say that i think that's interesting because i was reading about why why languages are becoming endangered and on the on the un site um it's they they talk about um countries being uh, communities being confronted with assimilation enforced relocation educational disadvantages poverty migration um they, wow. they, they, i know it's, it, it all felt quite very serious very dramatic you know um discrimination human rights violations but actually i think that's all absolutely true but if you kind of bring that maybe closer to home um it is kind of it's parents choosing not to to pass on languages to their children yeah um and and then maybe then we think about Irish, maybe they chose not to, but recently there has well, more recently there's been a movement to to start to pass it on. They felt mm. like something was something was missing. Yeah. Um It makes me think a bit though there's a, a fantasy novel I read recently called American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Uh, and the the general idea is if you imagine all of the old Norse gods, Egyptian gods, Greek gods, uh, they're all in America um and they all know each other. But people are starting to forget who they are. Yeah. And on the other hand, you've got all of these new gods who've come up like technology, uh, media, uh, all of those kind of things. And they're going to do battle to see who uh, can control America. But in the midst of this, the main character gets taken to this alternative world. Um, and he goes to this place called the Hall of Forgotten Gods. And there are lots of weird creatures with 
bull heads or snake arms and all these crazy things. But the idea is that all of these creatures were gods that were once worshipped by people. Yeah. And as times have moved on, um, those people groups have disappeared. They've been forgotten about. They've yeah. got nowhere to go. Yeah. And it makes me think a little bit about these languages. So, for example, um, some of those old indigenous languages that were once really important yeah. because of globalization and the effect of um, the dominance of a few languages that puts yeah. pressure on people, I guess, to learn those main languages and kind of move on and forget about the the background yeah. that they come from. What do you think? Yeah. So in in your novel, then once once your your hero has discovered this room of like forgotten mm. gods, does he decide then that is he interested? Is he curious? Does he think, oh my gosh, I you know I wish I'd known that they'd existed? Do you think if the spotlight was put on that room of you know forgotten about gods? That then people would start to like pay them more attention. They might get restored to being you know proper gods again. Yeah, well, I suppose what it does for him is it it makes him want to uh, to make more effort for the old gods that are still around and haven't been completely forgotten, but ah, are on the way. Okay, so so in the, the so I guess the parallel will be, we 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 will make sure that we preserve our languages at the very least, the languages that we're familiar with. Yeah, and I suppose knowing. Uh, if it makes you feel sad, which I think it should, that these languages are disappearing, it might make you want to do something about it so yeah. that it's not just something that we used to have and now we don't, but it's actually something that still forms a part of these different cultures yeah. and the richness of cultures out there that we can discover. Yeah. I mean, I, I went to an event last night, a Women in Localization event, which was actually about machine translation, but I gave a very short talk about um, these endangered languages and you know, we were all from a language localization marketing background. So we we know the importance of language. We know we need to we need language to communicate. We need language to define our identity, express our history and culture, um, defend our human rights. We also use language to construct our future. So if we take away the 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 voice of indigenous people, I I think that we are actually threatening in the the actual survival of indigenous people it's not yeah. just their language that we're talking about we're we're we are taking away an essential means of them you know explaining what they want and what they need um yeah. we're not only losing a, a, a culture history heritage knowledge but we're actually we're we're, ta- we're depriving them of the right to defend themselves i think yeah well i heard about the mohawk language over in um the us and that in that language they don't actually have a concept of the word i and that's because in, in that particular tribe, uh, it's not about the individual, it's about the community, it's about yeah. the collective. So instead of saying, for example, that I've got a cold, I'd say the cold has come to me. Okay. And it's all part of that culture of belonging to something bigger than yourself. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, that sounds nice, but does it really matter? Can't they learn to express that in other ways in English? Yeah. But then I, I read 1984 by George Orwell, where he talks about how and by changing language, you can change the way people think. Yeah. So, for example, if you got rid of words like freedom and liberty um, and that kind of thing, then actually over time, people, in according to George Orwell, people would then actually forget about those concepts all altogether. They yeah. wouldn't realize that they're not free because they have no concept of what freedom is. Yeah. And that's quite dramatic. But I suppose in a similar way, if you take away the language of those indigenous people, they then lose the means to express themselves as freely and to express yeah. the concepts that are important to them. Absolutely, yeah. And they, that, that's a real shame. It's a real shame. So th- they lose that. We lose that too. We lose another view of the world. We we stop seeing the world through our lens, their lens, which I think is is a terrible shame. 
<clears throat> we were also talking last night. I mean, it was it was about machine translation. So I was wondering where there were parallels. And I think actually what you just said is makes me think of a parallel. So, you know, if we are in 1984, you know, words like free are stripped out. Is is machine translation doing this to our language? Can machine translate? Can Google translate if it chooses to translate into Ainu, for example? Can it save that language, or is it going to save? But will that language morph into something else? I suppose the tricky thing is that with a lot of those languages, they they might not have any literature. So I remember yeah. reading last year that um, all these kind of horror stories of people putting um, sentences into Google and then translating them into some of those lesser-known languages. And because the only literature that was available in those languages were the Bible or some other old texts, they were coming back with these terrible apocalyptic prophecies of doom. <laughs> yeah, I remember that too. <laughs> yeah. and, but I guess with these languages, it's almost even worse because there's no literature there at all, so there's nothing for the machine machines to base their translation yeah. on. And so I quite liked, actually, I heard recently... Um, what our sister office in Denver have been doing. They've just started t- partnering with Translators Without Borders. Yep. And as part of that, they're reaching out to some of the more endangered languages like Tongan and Samoan yep. and Myri, things like that, um, and finding a way to support those translators in the work that they're doing and to support the preservation, I guess, of, of yeah. those languages. Yeah, I love uh, that, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And maybe over time then, um, as more literature is created in that language then we can trust the machine translation a bit more to to be more faithful to the language yeah (laughs) feed the machine exactly (laughs) feed the machine with what we want yeah I think yeah I love that I love that I love our connection with with translators without borders um and obviously we work with languages we work in the kind of uh, in the language localization business so I feel like we're in a really good place to make a difference but what if you what if you what if you're not what if you you know, you don't speak another language, you're not interested, well, guess you will be interested, but your life doesn't touch on localization like ours does. What what can what what do you think we can do? I mean, the UN wants to raise the profile of indigenous people, endangered languages. It is gonna put pressure, I think, on on large bodies, corporates that can actually do something. Mm. What what can we do? Just you know Well I, I suppose it's it's not dismissing those languages out of hand. I mean yeah. I'll admit when you first started talking about indigenous languages, I I was wondering why why we should care, whether it's actually yeah. a big deal. And that's that's not the right attitude and you know, having discussed it, I guess, it's just making sure that we as individuals allow the right of those peoples yeah. to uh, to speak in, in their languages, but then also maybe if you're in those countries like Ireland or New Zealand or even the US, um, taking the time to, to understand or even learn those languages yeah, if, if that's what yeah. you want to do. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it's a, you know it's about learning a language, not because it's it's going to become useful. It's not a, it's not not transactional. It's not because I want to further my career. Um, and then I guess that comes back to the you know I'm a parent, but I'm I'm still going to teach my child my indigenous language because. I, I, I want him or her to learn it. I want her to feel our culture and our, our heritage through the language. Um, yeah, so I guess as individuals, you, we, we can just help to help to, to spread the word. Um, yeah. And I thought that too a bit, to be honest, when I started reading about it, I was thinking, oh, is this just kind of natural progression? Is this just the way things are going? We can't stop it. But But then I was thinking about how much words mean to me and 
I can have a big debate often with you about the meaning <laughs> of a word. We're both, you know, native English speakers, although maybe you speak this weird Ulster Scots, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, afraid not. <laughs> um, so we can debate a word, a single word, which for us both has so much different power, emotion, history, philosophy, culture attached to it. That's just one word. Yeah. So you imagine, you know, a sentence, a whole language, to take away a whole language, you are really taking away, you are taking away someone's voice. So when I looked at it like that, I was like, goodness me, actually, uh, you know, I really kind of changed my mind about this. So yeah. what? <laughs> yeah, so what attitude? Yeah. Um, and so to end on, on a positive note, it's not all doom and gloom. And I've got a, an example of the Hawaiian language here. So in the 70s, it was almost extinct. No one oh, spoke wow. Hawaiian. Um, but there was a big movement to promote the Hawaiian language. Um, and it was mainly promoted by having schools teach Hawaiian and having schools teach through the medium of Hawaiian all subjects. Okay. Um, so going from the brink of extinction in 1978, um, no, I beg your pardon, in the 1970s, it's now um, an official language of the state of Hawaii. Oh, wow. And that was actually done. So I read that it was it was facing extinction in the 70s. By 1978, it had become a, an official language. So... Th things can change quite quickly yeah. if people mobilize, if the the media puts, you know, it highlights the, the situation. You get government bodies, educational bodies, big corporates, localization industry experts all behind it. Then I think I think some of these ind indigenous languages do stand stand a chance. That's that's a great a great way to end. <laughs> that's uh, all that we really have time for this week. But what I thought it'd be good to talk about next week is whether any of these issues are also relevant for the English language, because obviously English is always changing yeah. as new technologies come, uh, new languages make their mark on the language. Is there ever a point when the English language could be endangered or uh, are these changes to be welcomed? So I thought we could explore that a bit next time. That sounds good. And do is... Is English the indigenous language of of England? Do we know? I don't know. Not sure. I'll let you know next time. Okay, let's find out next week. <laughs> right, see you then. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to our WordCast. If you'd like to find out a bit more about WordBank, who we are and what we do, then you can check out our website, wordbank.com. Um, if you'd like to send in comments or requests for other topics you'd like us to talk about, um, you can email us on um, wordcast at wordbank.com. And finally, if you're curious about today's topic, the Year of Indigenous Languages, check out the website. Um, we'll point you in the direction of the UN site, which is en.iyil2019.org. Thanks very much for listening and see you next time.